Welcome to the Andy Staples Show, and we've got an emergency NCA legislation edition. I know you just you just fell asleep there a little bit. I can hear you snoring. But remember, we have the Andy Staples Show legal correspondent Jason Setchin, the most interesting man in college sports, to explain all this stuff to us. And Jason's actually involved in some of this stuff too, because he also represents a group of players that is looking for some clarity in the rules and looking for some some different rules to, to help deal with COVID-19. And he's got some good ideas and one great idea that the NCAA has not yet considered that I do think before all is said and done should be considered by all of the, the conferences and the schools in the NCAA. So welcome, Jason. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. It's been a kind of a whirlwind operation here these last couple of days. It's nice to be home back on the Andy Staples show. And uh, I appreciate you having me on again. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. So we'll start with the news that came down from the NCAA's Division One Council where, because this is something that, that I think we're going to have to deal with with a lot of leagues. But, you know, the news this week, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are postponing their football seasons until the spring. You're going to see some opt-outs if they wind up playing spring football. We don't yet know if the SEC, the ACC, the Big 12, there's three group of five leagues still playing. We don't know what's going to happen with them, but there's a chance they could wind up doing this as well. So the Division One Council gets together. They, they talk about this stuff, and they come up with a way to figure out if basically you can get a red shirt for this season and even if you've already redshirted, you're not being penalized. And and Jason, you were looking at that, what they came up with, and you do this for a living. You you deal with these cases all the time, NCAA eligibility for different athletes, and you came away confused. So help us, help the rest of us decipher yeah. this. Well, first of all, it's not uncommon that I am confused when uh, legislation is uh, talked about with the NCAA. Some of the wording of their legislation has proven to be confusing over the years. This is no exception, but I think the concept is good in terms of what they're trying to do. As you know, I've been advocating for some type of a COVID eligibility waiver now for a few weeks, and that was picked up upon by some of the uh, senior players I know in Clemson, uh, Trevor Lawrence and some other guys had put out a list of, of concerns and recommendations, and that was included there. And then we finally got our letter out um, on the 10th to the ACC and SEC, and we outlined some of our concerns. And the top concern that we had is this COVID eligibility waiver issue, which didn't exist until this uh, the, these last two weeks. And then fortunately, with this meeting that the NCA had and these recommendations, because I can tell you, speaking to many student athletes and their families and hearing the things that concern them the most, obviously at the forefront of that is the medical situation and the protocols and all of that stuff. And a lot of people feel comfortable with where they're headed with that. The SEC, for example, exceeded the CDC guidelines and, and the ACC is doing the same. And um, with the testing protocols and everything that's happening to protect kids while they're competing and practicing, Parents are, for the most part, at least in my group, are very comfortable with that. So that shifted the concern to this eligibility issue and all of the sacrifices that these kids are making and kind of what's in it for us as far as if something goes wrong and we, we don't want to lose eligibility. These A lot of the kids that I represent are you know from disadvantaged backgrounds. A lot of the, the kids that I represent 
are mixed in terms of what years they are. You know, some are younger than others, but they're all concerned about one thing. You know, when you're dealing with the SEC and the ACC, mostly you're talking about kids that are not only there to get an education, but they have dreams and aspirations to making it to the next level. And their fear is that if they burn a year of eligibility somehow, that that could negatively impact their chances to making the NFL. I know that's a big concern now with the spring, uh, with the Pac-10 and the Big Ten moving their football, um, or the Pac-12, sorry, um, moving their football to the spring, because the question is, well, how does that affect draft stock and, you know, draft preparations and, and pre-draft and so forth? So these are major concerns, and, and um, we're, we're really happy that the NCA at least sat down and had a conversation about some type of an eligibility waiver, but it's very confusing the way that it's written, and it doesn't quite get to the level that it needs to be at in order to uh, appease and comfort the folks that I represent. They're still concerned. You guys know I like barbecue. Okay, love barbecue. Would eat it for every meal. But we all got jobs. We got kids. Even when we're all homebound, we don't have 16 hours to smoke a pork butt. We don't have a bunch of hours to, to cook ribs and remove all the silver skin from the back and then get them ready to go. And it's just not that easy. Sometimes you want barbecue and you want it quick and you want it now. And that's when I reach for chicken ribs. What is a chicken rib, you ask? It is chicken that tastes like ribs. It's a specially cut chicken thigh. You eat it off the bone, just like you would a rib, but you get these great hunks of meat, and it's a little healthier than the average spare rib. 75% less fat, to be exact. Less calories. Very good for you, but tastes great. They come frozen. You thaw them out. You put them in your air fryer for five minutes, or you put them on the grill. Maybe you kiss them a little bit with barbecue sauce, get that candy glaze going. It is delicious. I have an 11-year-old. He does not like anything. He loves chicken ribs. He asks me for them all the time. Go to chickenribs.com and use the code Andy today to get $10 off plus free two-day shipping. It's real smoked meat. Comes right to your door. You throw it in the freezer. You throw it in the fridge to thaw out. And then once it's thawed, you are ready to roll. Go to chickenribs.com. Use the code Andy for $10 off plus free two-day shipping. Basically, they're saying that if you play in fewer than 50% of the maximum number of games in the season that you could get relief for lack of better. It's not, it's not necessarily a redshirt year because even if you've already had a redshirt year, this wouldn't count against you. They basically want to make sure you get eligibility amnesty if COVID-19 cuts your season short. And it's, it's if you get sick or it's if your team has to stop playing or variety, or if you just opt out, but 50%. So we think, right, Jason, in football, that would mean eight games because the maximum number you could play in the FBS is 15 if your team won the national title and, and played a conference title game. So you'd think it'd be seven and a half and, and round it up to eight. But it's, it is interesting because my thing was why put a cap on it at all? And when I read your letter that you guys sent to the ACC and the SEC on the 10th, I loved the idea you had. And it, you you had it under the heading one recommended solution, and it's basically a COVID nineteen eligibility waiver blanket waiver. And I know that, that I, I've made that sound incredibly boring, but what it would be essentially is a mulligan for every player who plays in whatever version of the two thousand twenty season they play in. And for football, I think this could help a lot if leagues try to play in the spring 
whether it's the, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and the Mountain West, or if all these other leagues that, that are trying to play in the fall now have to postpone and try to play in the spring. Because this is the part, I, Jason, I, I don't know that the people understand, and I, I imagine you've talked about this quite a bit with your clients and their parents. There's a thought among coaches that if you try to play in the spring and in the fall, there will be a lot of players, not just the NFL-bound players, because they'll just leave. They're, they're, they're probably gone for a spring season. But the younger ones who will say, I don't want to waste a year of eligibility on this season, so I will opt out of this and prepare for the quote-unquote real season in fall 2021. I think if you said none of this counts towards your eligibility, like if you're a redshirt freshman now, you'll be a redshirt freshman next August. I bet a lot more guys would play. I agree completely. And, and actually, I can tell you that I've heard that from a lot of players and families that I've spoken to. I mean, what what's crazy is for the kids that just straight up opt out right from the jump, they just say, I'm opting out for the fall. I'm not playing or they have schools that, that canceled football. They're automatically being put in a position to play next year and not have any impact on their eligibility. The, the season, obviously, under normal circumstances, the best compete against the best. Well, the best includes a lot of the schools that are not playing now, like Ohio State and Michigan and those types of schools and the schools that are in the Pac-12. Um, those schools are not participating. So you're, you're going to have this interconference type competition. It's just not going to be the same. And I agree with you that not to mention the fact that it's just not a regular season, especially in a small, much smaller environment like the spring. There's going to be zero fans or 20% fans or yeah. something like that. It's not going to be what you signed up for, for sure. And my thing on this, Jason, is they need these players to put out football product to get paid by the TV networks. And we've, we've talked about that. And I'm not doing that to paint these guys as greedy or anything because as, as we learned over this past weekend, the players, for the most part, really, really, really also want to play. But they should give them something in return for playing and for helping out, for helping save the sport and and, and save the, the budgets of the athletic departments. And I feel like the least they could do is one year of eligibility. Hey, don't worry about it. It's not going to count against you. Yeah, it just takes so much pressure off. And I agree with you. I mean, it's not just the the fact that they want to play football and it's not just the, the athletic departments that are going to benefit from this as you know i mean this is why it's just been such a whirlwind these last couple of days there's a large percentage of the country particularly in the southeastern united states and in other places where people live and die by this and towns live and die by college football i mean the economies of towns live and die by those people that come into town and when the games are played and, and all the stuff that happens with that and what it means to the communities and the kids want to be a part of that and they want to participate in it, but it's not going to be the same no matter how you slice it this year. And so, like you said, I mean, it's just, what are you giving these kids? Why should these kids have to take any more risk? They're already risking their health potentially. I mean, obviously the conferences and the NCAA is doing what they can to protect these kids, but nobody can deny that there's some risk involved. I mean, obviously there is, and there, there, these are informed choices, the kids that decide to play, but why should they also be risking their eligibility or having to worry about how this could affect their careers down the line with respect to how many years of play they have left or how the season's going to play out? There's so much unknown. Why not just assuage those fears and just come to the table and say, hey, look, 
we appreciate what you're doing. For those of you who have made an informed choice and you've decided to play, this is what we're going to do to, to ensure that you don't have to sit and worry and count out 50% of your games and how much did you play and how much didn't you play and how's this guy doing and that guy doing. And it's just, it's adding another layer of, of concern and intrigue that doesn't need to exist. And these kids deserve this type of a waiver, this eligibility. They, they deserve it. Well, and, and I'll throw out an example. Let's say somebody's a freshman, the, the class of 2020 member, they, they've been on campus for a little while. Let's say this season does get started in some form or fashion, whether it's in the fall or in the spring, they tear their ACL in week two. They're now out for, well, let, let, let's say that the season's in the spring. They tear their ACL in week two of the spring season. They're out for the 2020 season and the 2021 season. If you give them that blanket eligibility waiver, then they can have not 2020 not count redshirt 2021 and they're a freshman in 2022 they're a redshirt freshman in 2022 and there's really no harm to them from an eligibility standpoint because i mean that's the least you can do to thank them for trying to play in the spring oh yeah i agree but you know what let's let's just get it back to the very beginning let's take it to the most fundamental part i mean are these kids that are going to play, let's assume a season happens in these conferences that are still playing and it goes forward. Is there a person alive that's going to argue that the experience that those kids are going to have as collegiate athletes and, and college football players is going to be the same as it would have been in a non-COVID environment or that it's going to be as good or better than what it would have been in a non-COVID environment? There's no one that can make that argument. It's going to be very stressful. It, there, there's all types of invasive medical testing that's going to be done. There, there are going to be all kinds of limitations and restrictions on these kids. They're living in a bubble. They're not playing in front of crowds. Um, I mean, the list is ongoing as to why this is going to be different. And if they're going to sacrifice all of that, why should they have to burn a year of eligibility that somebody that came along before them would never have had to go through? I mean, I just think it's it's not asking much. It really isn't. I just, I don't believe it's a huge ask to say, hey, we're in this together. You know, we're going to play and we're going to make a go at this and we're willing to do that. But I just don't want to go to sleep at night wondering, did I burn a year of my eligibility? Did I give away a year of my college football experience? When I look back and say, that was a crazy year, but it was terrible. And I hate that I wasted a year of my eligibility on that. And that's, a lot of kids are going through that process and they may opt out and, and miss out on what could otherwise be a season. And well, that, why push those kids to that brink? I, that's what I think, especially if everybody tries to move to the spring, one of the only ways you can have a season is to do this because I'm not sure enough people will want to play otherwise. I think this, this would make sure that those people still want to play and feel comfortable playing. But the, the other one I wanted to talk to you about, because uh, you guys didn't really demand anything outrageous. You were asking for for some common sense stuff. The other one that that you mentioned in the letter is an immediate implement, implementation of the one time transfer waiver, and that what that means is you can transfer from one school to the other, play without sitting out a year, and you don't have to petition the NCAA to approve that. You would just be able to play, and if you try to do it a second time, you would have to sit out or, or get a waiver. But the first time, you could just move. And that's something that the NCA was going to come around on approving within the next year or so anyway. I'm with you. It makes sense to just do it now. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And I'll tell you why. Because 
and this is spelled out in the letter, the, the single biggest concern, and I just saw this, by the way, I don't know if you, if you saw this, and I don't know who it was, but I saw a letter on Twitter that was out from a player at FSU that was complaining about how he felt that um, FSU yes. wasn't doing something they were supposed to be doing yes. and reporting properly or whatever it was. And I don't Warren, Warren Thompson, one of the receivers. Right, yeah, and I don't want to mischaracterize what he said, but the bottom line is that there's a kid who felt like he needed to come out and say, hey, this is what's happening in my opinion, and I'm not comfortable with it. And if that's going to happen to somebody either now or even during the season, and it doesn't get taken well by coaches or other players, which is certainly a possibility, that person may feel that they can't go back. They may feel that, hey, I have an obligation to the other players or to myself. I'm going to be that guy who's going to be the whistleblower here. And then they do that, and then they feel as though there's some type of uh, retaliation against them or they're trapped in that school. And if they want to transfer, they might have to sit a year. Obviously, there's always the waiver process, and you can allege all of this stuff, and there are no guarantees with that process. Um, why have to go through that? Why not just sit there and say, you know what? I, this is something that's happening. It's not right. I'm going to come out and say it. And if there's any retaliation or I don't like the way that this was handled and I decide to play somewhere else next year, I don't have to worry about sitting. You hit the nail on the head. They're moving in this direction anyway. So why not just add this to the mix now and just do it now and do it right? Let's, let's let these kids play that decide to play, the ones who choose to move forward, and have nothing on their mind except staying healthy, staying in school, and playing football. Take all of this eligibility stuff out of the equation, the transfer concerns, and all these other things that kids worry about because they're real. Kids worry about these things. And they're more at the forefront now because of this COVID environment than they ever were before. Before we get back to the show, let me tell you a little bit about Indochino. Well, and, and the other thing is, this is so chaotic now anyway. Why not just add a little more to it? I, you know, This is a situation that everybody's still trying to get their arms around. You can do a lot of drastic stuff now, sort of rip the Band-Aid off, stuff you were, like you said, already going to do anyway. And I don't know that anybody even noticed a difference because... You're talking about playing football in the spring. I mean, you're already changing everything. So what's this one more little thing that you have to deal with? Because everybody's dealing with a ton right now. And I, I do think it would actually help it go down a little bit easier. And then there's going to be a new normal at some point. And then all this stuff's already done. Right. No, I agree. But you know what? The other thing, too, is it's it's just it's a package of things that are being done and given to student athletes. They've been asking for the one-time transfer waiver forever. That's if you, to a man, if you ask every kid that plays college football, if they think that that's something that should be done, they're going to say yes. So why not throw them a bone right now? I mean, obviously the COVID eligibility waiver needs to be fine-tuned. We're not in love with the way it's written right now. It needs to be broader and, and offer more relief. Um, and, and the one-time transfer waiver thing, I mean, they didn't mention that, but that needs to be added to the, this is the time to say to student athletes, we hear you, we understand, we're in this together. You guys are coming to the table, you want to play, you guys are making informed choices to move forward. Those of you who don't want to play, opt out, there's no burden on you at all, we're going to let you get your year back next year. But those of you who are moving forward, what can we do to, to make you feel good about what you're doing? How can we make this a more student athlete friendly environment? And these are the little things that they can do. You know, my, the group of people that I represent, they're really reasonable people. They didn't come out here and demand revenue sharing and a, and a lot of the more uh, severe demands that some of the other groups out there have made. Um, and I'm not knocking those folks. They, they can ask for whatever they want. But the group I represent, which is a large group of student athletes in the ACC and SEC, 
they want to play and they just want to be reasonable. They, they just want these basic things like you're, you're talking about. I mean, these are, this is the time to do this stuff now, right now. This is the time to offer student athletes the relief that makes the playing environment better for them, not just during COVID, but in the future. Today's show is sponsored by Artifact. Artifact sets you up with a professional interviewer to capture stories about important people or things in your life. Basically, it is a personalized podcast episode featuring you or your family. I would love to have one of these with my mom telling our family history to my kids who never got a chance to meet her. It would have been wonderful for them to be able to hear that in her voice. So I'm trying to do the same thing. I ordered my first artifact to talk about my time as maybe the worst walk-on offensive lineman in SEC history. Uh, that's very kind of formative part of my life, and I want them to know, to know about it, and I want them to be able to hear it, and maybe you know, my grandkids, great-grandkids, maybe they'll get to hear it too. Uh, what you do, you go to heyartifact.com, and I told them a few basic things about what I wanted my story to be about. Then I answered a few pre-interview questions and scheduled my interview, and that only took a couple of minutes. And then I had my interview. I had a professional reporter contact me and took me all the way through the story, you know, made sure I filled in gaps if I'd missed something, made sure it was going to sound great. Uh, it was a very cool experience. It was weird being on the other side of it, to be honest. I'm, I'm usually the person doing the interviewing and, and writing the story or recording it for the podcast. So, uh, But it was pretty cool. And I tell you what, they do a great job that make you feel like you are the star of this show, and it's it's great. I cannot wait to hear it. Uh, their professional editors and sound engineers take care of the editing, which having done a few edits on these things, I'm glad I don't have to deal with that. So I'll be sharing that episode with you when it's ready next week, but for now, you can go to heyartifact.com and hear some awesome samples, tons of ways to use Artifact to capture stories with your friends and family. So when you're ready to make an Artifact of your own, Use code Andy to get $40 off your first one. That's heyartifact.com, H-E-Y-A-R-T-I-F-A-C-T.com, and use the code Andy for $40 off. So I, I'm curious because you've been doing this for quite a while, and a lot of your cases involve eligibility or involve somebody who has has been accused of violating NCAA rules, and so they are fighting for, basically fighting against the bureaucracy to try to either mitigate a penalty or to uh, play a year where they where they weren't going to be allowed to play in a year. How much has the willingness to take on the system changed over the last few years? Because obviously to us on the outside, it feels like players are much more willing to speak up now than they were. But what are you noticing as someone who has, has been representing the ones who tried to fight the system all along? Well, I think it really started with social media and giving individual student athletes a voice. If something that was happening that was wrong or kids were not feeling like uh, they were being treated fairly or appropriately, they had the opportunity to go out on Twitter and say, hey, this is what's happening and this is my take on this. And I think that really opened the door. And I think at some point very early on, coaches and administrations became almost afraid of the fact that that was out there because a lot of this stuff was closeted. Kids just either did what they needed to do or they were dismissed from teams. And then it became, well, wait a minute. Now they can tell their side of the story through social media and it might not look so good for us if we do this. And that's kind of where it started. And then I think that that grew and, and became even more 
uh, of an opportunity to the point where lawyers like myself and Tom Mars and some other folks out here that practice law in this arena are out here trying to advocate for student athletes and, and giving them an option to, if they feel as though they've been wronged or they need a voice, they can come to us and retain us and, and, and have an opportunity to kind of, I don't want to say fight the system, but at least have their rights kind of enforced and and give themselves a fair shake to try and uh, have a better outcome that may not have existed in years past because that sort of thing was shunned. But now it's, it's pretty uh, widespread and common. And now we've seen the next evolution of that, which is the grouping of student athletes. And I don't know, I know there's a lot of talk of this unionizing and all that stuff, and I don't want to get into that, but where just there's a common voice where student athletes are connecting and they're, they're trying to put forward certain ideas that they think are important. And it's not just four or five student athletes, but it might be hundreds of student athletes. And so with that and, and with safety and numbers and, and all of that support that comes with all of these extra people involved, I think that's kind of the next evolution of student athlete rights and, and you know, kind of coming back to what you were talking about in, in terms of the evolution of what's happened with that. Well, I know there's no bigger honor for an attorney than to have something bureaucratic named after him. So I, I am going to personally petition the NCA that if they adopt this blanket waiver, which I very much think they should, which I think would be very smart, especially if you, you have multiple conferences trying to play football in the spring, I think it'll, it'll make sure you have a population of football players ready and willing to go. Let's call it the Setchin waiver. Have you got your Setchin waiver yet? Did you, did you fill out your paperwork and get your Setchin waiver? Well, that's a, that is really an honor. That would be great. I would absolutely love that because I do feel I was part of it. But I will say this, the group that I'm with and the group that, uh, that I represent, that was a collaborative between myself, obviously, and them. And they, they really, I, they deserve a lot of credit for it. I'll take the credit in terms of the, the title because uh, I don't want to leave that on the table. But I do want to pay my respects to the folks that helped come up with that and that were a part of this process. And uh, they deserve that recognition. But yes, I would be happy to accept that honor if the NCA was so inclined. But I don't get the sense that they want to name anything after me uh, at this point in time in my career. That, that is probably true. All right. So if this gets passed, we'll, we'll both be freshmen this time next year. And, and, and that'll be a good thing. Jason Session, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks again for having me on. I, I appreciate it. I, I wasn't kidding when I said how much it, I just... There's a level of relief being on your show. I've done some other shows where I've gone in and, and had to uh, appear. I did a show in, in Hawaii the other day, which was a first. But um, it's nice to come home and, and, and be on the Andy Staples show. So did, did they you. did they call you at three in the morning? I, the time difference is a, is a tough one out there. I remember one time I, when I was covering recruiting, Manti Teo's dad called me at like two in the morning. And I'm like, huh? He's like, I'm just calling you back. <laughs> yeah, that, it didn't happen that way. But, uh, you know, don't forget, I, I've had clients all over the country. Remember Brian Bowen when he was playing in Australia was, oh, I want to say he was right. like 24 hours ahead or whatever it was. I didn't even know what planet I was on half the time I was speaking to him. So definitely understand the, the vibe. Well, he is the Andy Staples Show legal correspondent, Jason Sechin. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Andy. Thank you.